just record when we were busy laughing about something else. I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Can we laugh through most of this anyway? So? Hello and welcome to episode 107 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another Epic marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends, old and new, that I've met through my career, from techie to CMO, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 25th of March. Hope you've had a good week, and you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark and I complete the five effing marketing fundamentals. I chat with Jill Ransom, CMO of Jitterbit, and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my chum, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, on to our first segment. My chum, Jeff Clark, is a sought-after marketing strategy advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director. And this week, we complete our five effing marketing fundamentals and we find out how we make it all happen with marketing operations. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? Very well. Doing okay. Yes, I clicked record when we were busy laughing about something else. I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> we laugh through most of this anyway, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It, well, it's a jolly jape, isn't it? Marketing, jolly fun topic. <laughs> right, okay. Um, now then, this week, last week, so we're, we're doing our five effing marketing fundamentals for people that haven't been singing along back home. Uh, and we're on our fifth, which is marketing operations. Last the fifth week, of five. Yeah, so the five were, uh, last week we covered uh, the buyer's journey. Before that, we covered telling the story. Before that, we covered research, right? Research, and then right. first Part one was research. brand. Brand, yeah. There you go. See, I've been paying attention to you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we're going to cover marketing ops. What say you, Jeff? Well, you know, the uh, to continue on our uh, rock star theme, how we make it rock stars. I mean, uh, marketing operations can be construed as like being the the technical team. There's the you know the producer, the engineers, the roadies, the sound men, 
the you know all of everything that that makes makes you know putting a band uh, on the road or having a record yeah. work and and um and i think that that's a you know it's a fair analogy and and but you know i think a, a lot of times marketing ops gets a um Oh, I don't know. You by being the technical guys or whatever, they they aren't yeah. sometimes viewed as the the cool kids in marketing. But yes. you know, it, it, when you think about in uh, you know what most rock fans know is that the like the Beatles, they weren't just successful because they were four bright lads from Liverpool. They mm-hmm. you know they had one of the best record producers. Uh, yeah. You know, in I think it probably most well known in history. Uh, they had a famous studio, Abbey Road, which was used for you know all kinds of music, classical, et cetera. Yeah. They had the best sound engineers. I mean, at the time, I mean, they were yeah. just doing stuff that that sounded heads and shoulders yes. above what other bands that you know even had similar talent uh, mm-hmm. had. So you know, the smart CMO, and this you know the reason we were doing these five fundamentals is kind of like you know what's what what do, what do people in marketing need to know that uh that is really going to make their work more effective and <clears throat> the smart cmo knows that a crack technical team is required to make the talent of the rest of the right. team shine you know so behind every great rock star cmo are, a, is this crew of engineers and producers. absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah and um and uh, but nowadays i mean I, I like you making your case there that uh, um, that a marketing ops person could also be a rock star i mean there's many record producers Absolutely. that are famous for the the albums that they produce um so so the this this so the rock star cmo knows that they need this crack marketing operations team behind them uh, to shine this backing band would you say i don't know <laughs> it's not, it's really a backing band it's but it's like when you think about you know you don't want your creative team to get bogged down in, you know, poor, horrible intake and review processes. You don't want your yeah. campaign managers limited by the reach of the tools. You don't want yeah. digital marketers hamstrung because they don't have any visibility into man- right. the audience. And engage. So it's yeah. like, who who's going to provide all that stuff? And, and if you yeah. leave the individual marketing groups right. under themselves to do that, you know, th- I mean, they're going to do what works for them in the day, but they're not necessarily going to do what works best no. for the entire team. So that really leads on to um, um, the discussion that I've actually participated on on other podcasts. Um, what's Mops got to do with it? Hosted by your friend Simon Daniels. Daniels. Yeah. Um, and and that is what is the what's the function of marketing ops? Let's start with the definition there. What are the things well, that you feel that marketing ops should be prioritized on? Yeah, so there's certainly you can take a, a purely functional view, mm-hmm. and right. you know, so you need to be able to manage your data. You need to be able to um, do reporting. You need yeah. to be able to. You might need to have a, a project management office to help with planning. You need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may you know as you get more sophisticated, you need people who understand how to manage processes and to be mm-hmm. kind of coaches. You know, like either the agile coach or this person that that can come in and help the creative team figure out how the process should work. Um, and and I think that that's. I mean, there's certainly a legitimacy to looking at that. And oftentimes, marketing ops teams start. You know, and I remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, Simon just had this is going through this at uh, his um, his work at FD technology is that it's like, you know, first, okay, I need someone to help me with reporting because people are asking for, you know, what are we doing on, you know, lead management, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, and then I need, you know, because people are clamoring for help on our marketing, uh, you know, automation platform or they're, they're, yeah. they're going to go buy stuff and we need to yeah. prevent them from buying the wrong thing. So now we need a tech yeah. person. Yeah. And, and so typically those are like places where marketing ops starts and mm-hmm. then it kind of grows into as, as the company gets more mature, then yeah. it's like they're looking to marketing ops to provide other help, such as on the planning process or, you know, on, um, you know, getting very sophisticated in data. I don't just have a data mm-hmm. admin. I might have an analyst. I might have a data scientist. Right. So you start adding these more sophisticated roles. And, and you know, when we worked with, you know, large companies like a, a, an IBM or a, mm-hmm. a SAP, it's like, I mean, they had a data science team. They didn't have, yes. a, they didn't have a yeah. data scientist. They had a team that worked on, you know, doing predictive models and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's, it's, it, it is all of that and, and more, um, and it, it's, it's just, uh, you know, part of it's figuring out what your priorities are as you mature, but also, which is one of the things that we did when, uh, at Serious Decision Forrester is kind of help people develop that path. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. what do you have now? What are the skills gaps? What do you need to yeah. get to? And, yeah. and start to say, the, let's look at, um, you know, the, the, where that, those gaps are and, and put you on a plan to, uh, to fill those positions as you grow. Yeah. Um. So. So. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's really the engine room behind. Um. Behind marketing, right? Looking after all the data, the tools, um, the the tech that you've got, the processes, being that um, PMO, and, and then and, and providing really the structure for the marketing and, team, really. The, and and yeah, and, it, and part of it yeah. is the fact that it's like you know you think about you know is it data? Do I look at the data first, or do I look at the process yeah. or the tech yeah. and which yeah. is really, I mean, those are arguments that are yeah. very theoretical. It's like in reality, you want to look at how uh, process and data flow across the organization and yeah. how tech supports that. So so yeah. all of that, and then the fact that you need to be able to report on activity from that, mm-hmm. that flow of data and process is, yeah. um, you know, is important and uh, and 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 this is where, and you know, we can touch on this in some future episode yeah. where marketing and sales starts crossing over because it's like a lot of the processes go mm-hmm. from marketing to sales and back or yeah. and, and yeah. So since they overlap so much, you get this yeah. need to actually align yeah. across those two functions. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, that, and I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but that's the sort of RevOps conversation that I had yep. with um, Kerry Cunningham um, yeah. a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's understanding the role of marketing ops. One thing I know um, we hadn't talked about in prep for this, but there's this term of chief of staff around who the, um, you know, the, 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 the guy that runs marketing ops is almost the chief of staff to the CMO. Have you seen that as well? Absolutely. Or either yeah. a chief of staff or a project management office. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes, you know, you see them, obviously every organization is different. Sometimes you yeah. see that as a role outside of yeah. marketing operations, but oftentimes yeah. the head of marketing ops becomes kind of the de facto chief of staff, Right. you know, right. Uh, you know, again, because they're going to have a team of people yeah. that, that can actually help executing what, what the marketing leadership yeah. team is, uh, is, you know, what their goals are and ambitions are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I'd realized that uh, we were going to try and cover marketing ops in 20 minutes. I think there's lots of topics <laughs> that we probably need to come back to on this. So when, we, when we're looking at um, when we're looking at m- what marketing operations does, I know that when we were chatting about this prior that you've got a view that 
marketing ops helps with the past, present, and future of the of the marketing of the way the marketing is working. T- tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, you're trying to uh, you know you're trying to bring out the best in your team, mm-hmm. the entire marketing team, and and so. You know, if you think about the, the the past, present, and and future, it's like, well, mm-hmm. what what can marketing ops help us in terms of understanding historical performance, yeah. analyzing it, um, understanding the value of our technology, understanding where we have process execution gaps, you know, uh, uh, gathering customer profile and date engagement data, all those things that that are part of recording the past, but to help us understand what we're going to do now, today, right. and then in the future. Right. And then when so you that's get really in, like the historical performance and, yeah. you know, the, gathering the data that we have yep. from, from our past. Okay. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, you know, people want to benchmark themselves against, yeah. against uh, you know, external yeah. other companies or whatever, best yeah. in class, et cetera, which is good, but, but you've got to understand what your historical performance is. Yeah. And if you're trying to understand more about your customers and as we go, went through, talked about the buyer's journey, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's all about gathering data about the individuals, the profiles of the organizations and understanding their their behavior. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you bring that into the present and and, you know, it's about, you know, what, what, what are we what are we doing today to be as most effective as possible? So optimizing mm-hmm. our current operations, you know, operating mm-hmm. processes and oftentimes, you know, this has sometimes been a discussion in organizations, is does marketing ops own processes more often than not, it actually is a kind of an internal optimization consultant to right. the teams that do own the process. Like, you know, the creative team yeah. owns the process of getting things through their, you know, their production yeah. house, if you will. And, yeah. and and marketing ops can be a great partner to say, you know, so how do we understand what the uh, the customers that process what they want how do we understand what you can yeah. do to improve your execution against they want what is the process today what do we want to show what the process should be in the future and then right. you, you apply that exact same thing to tech acquisition how do we understand our execution gaps um and what technologies how do we prioritize mm-hmm. what technologies can help us fulfill that gap uh, how do we align with the sales ops team to get that revenue engine alignment? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's really typically ops teams, ops team yeah. determining yeah, yeah. that. Uh, and then, as we mentioned before, you know, performance reporting, both just, you know, performance on your outcomes, the budgets, yeah. et cetera. Uh, yeah. That's where, you know, typically you, you got you to gotta give that to somebody. <laughs> so yeah, that goes yeah. to... Uh, yeah, no, I've, d- I've done the same. I think that I think you're right. The um, the marketing ops team are are your chief of staff as a CMO, and they they they're also excellent for managing like the gatekeeper of budget and and what we should do and process and making sure we're we're optimized across the piece. What about? I mean, you were saying about past and present. What what where do you see marketing ops role in what we're going to do as a marketing team? Well, certainly, marketing ops, uh, you know, and the chief of staff or project management office yeah. are would be very involved in the planning processes. You know, whether yeah. it's the annual planning process, campaign planning. Okay. I mean, they they typically, you know, you want somebody else who's kind of a, a, a uh, you know an objective third party, if yeah. you will, within the organ yeah. within the marketing team to be able to just coordinate how we go through that process provide the right information for people to make decisions. Yeah. So that's one way, certainly, you know, with all the data gathering and, and past reporting to be able to get into more predictive analysis. That's really one yeah. of the things that, you know, 
you were talking to Carrie about is how to understand mm. with from the the people we are targeting our, in our mm-hmm. uh, in our audience how mm-hmm. can we project what we should be doing next mm-hmm. where they're going next um, and then also from a skills perspective in marketing doing enablement it's like so yeah. what are our skills gaps we need to fill yeah. and how how can somebody help us get to you know, a point yeah. where we've got the right skills in the, in the department. So yeah. those are a I couple like, of ways certainly that, that marketing ops can really help. Yeah. Um, I like your de- definition of marketing ops because too often I think it's been, they're just defined as the people that look after the marketing IT yeah, uh, and look and, um, and you know, they're, they're the ones building out, um, you know, creating user profiles and maybe, maybe doing a bit of the campaign modeling within the, the tools um, but you've you've expanded out much broader than that, much more as part of a strategic um, part of the planning part of marketing to help with that, both in terms of data analysis and sort of helping with where we think we should go next. Well, and it should be the CMO's right hand organization yeah. for executing what the marketing leadership team yeah. or helping, so I should say, supporting and help yeah. the leadership team execute what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also the, the idea of being aligned with revenue often falls with marketing ops, doesn't it? So that's uh, that's um, a, a topic we'll cover in a second. Yeah, but, I was just, just going to say, it's like, you know, you know a couple of places that I, I was at, uh, certainly when I was at Peco Systems, I mean, being aligned with the sales operations team was mm-hmm. extremely important. Yeah. And and it's like, yeah. you know, and, and you're trying to solve the same problems, but for different <laughs> yeah. different stakeholders. Yeah, I, I, and I'm, I'm going to ask this out of order from what we put in the notes. But on that topic, the conversation a couple of times has come up on the podcast about this new-ish, I guess, I guess it's new kind of uh, um, trend for revenue operations. And people are now talking about revenue operations as, as much as marketing operations. It sounds to me like, is that the sales version of marketing operations? What, what do you see well, as it, the role of revenue? It, it You know, it 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 does appear um it's very different in different organizations and and yeah. so culture wise I mean, if if this if the chief sales officer head of sales if they're the ones driving all of the demand activity then yeah. then you know sales is basically going to take control of operations mm-hmm. um uh but more so is this a bit just to interrupt, is this a bit like that whole CRO argument that that yes, that, that so the CRO CRO it's, almost replaces CMO and CSO. Yeah, it's a, it's analogous. But but what is more typical is, you know, because so many of processes, technologies, mm-hmm. et cetera, cross the boundaries of marketing and sales, yeah. it is where the two teams will operate more in alignment. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously you've got to have your executives aligned in order for yeah, the two yeah. operations teams to work in alignment. But, you know, where I've seen it work well is where, you know, you're trying to solve a problem like how do we manage demand and what systems are we going to use to do that? Yeah. And if you get one view, one single yeah. view of the process, the technology yeah. and the data sure. required to support that, it's better than marketing coming up with their idea mm-hmm. and sales come with their idea and then fighting yeah. over it. Um, yeah. The con is that is that if you don't have alignment between your CMO and your CSO, then if you create a revenue ops, a single revenue ops team, then they're going to pull it in one direction or the other, mm-hmm. which which basically just doesn't it, it doesn't serve the needs of of the organization because you want marketing to be looking more long term, you want sales to yeah. be very short term revenue oriented, and um, you know you, you you need that you need both of those views. You can't yeah. you take one over the other. 
Yeah, so revenue operations uh, in that instance becomes, no, the leads are weak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, um, we also like t- touched on, um, you know, putting this team together. So is this, is this, are they totally in house or do, or is there an element of this that we can outsource? You cert- it's certainly you, c- you can outsource elements, you know, uh-huh. almost like anything else, you know, outsource your digital advertising or outsource, yeah. uh, you know, PR, you know, so there's, there's certainly aspects and reasons to do that, but obviously to, you know, to be more competitive, you know, if this is something that's strategic to the organization, you want as much of this talent in-house as possible because you want, you want them to be able to understand the organization and not be somebody who, who's not waking up thinking about, you know, the company and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Well, really they're the beating heart, aren't they, of the marketing team. So if, you know, you can't outsource. They're the people that should be managing the outsourcing other elements, almost, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like you were saying about that, they can help us with the tech acquisition and filling the execution gaps. They can also help us with filling the execution gaps in terms of what agencies, freelancers, whatever else we need, right, to achieve what we need. Yeah, and you're with your beating heart metaphor. I mean, you don't want to outsource yeah. your circulatory system. No, exactly. It's just not. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I guess some elements you can, can't you? Because because yeah. some of them nowadays, anyway, that, that some of these skills are becoming very specialist, like data scientists. Right? Yes, so and, and that's perhaps, where if if, yeah. if you got something that that yeah, you just can't hire the skills in house. Um, yeah. But then you want somebody, you want a team that's got some control over how those outsourced resources are being managed. Yeah, yeah. So um, to to the normal point that we sort of ask at the end of uh, end of each of these effing fundamentals is is why, Jeff? Why? Why are we going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it it uh, it really comes down to consistency and efficiency mm-hmm. of the execution. Like I said, we're you know we're trying to you know bring out the talent of our team, uh, yeah. so you don't want to hamstring them. And I I mean, talked to too many organizations that because their operations you know, was, was just a, a, you know, a mess. It's like, everyone's complaining about how things are too slow. And I, you know, I don't, we don't get alignment across the team and our technology sucks and that. So, you know, you, you want people to stop whining and actually have everything help run operations. Isn't that, isn't that the interesting challenge, isn't it for marketing operations? Because you're trying to apply process so you are kind of slowing people down because I've been in a situation where somebody's seen a new shiny thing that they want to oh. stick their credit card on and get. And then somebody with an operational mind, me, or me as a CMO, I'm like this, is let's have a think about that. Do we really, why, why, have you built a list of requirements of why you need it? Where is it going to fit into the whole data model? How's the content going to flow through it? And they're going, oh, yeah, <laughs> and you're adding, yeah. you're adding delay, but you're, you're, you're you want people to be thoughtful. Yeah. Right. I mean, it just yeah. is the knee, you know, uh, knee jerk reactions or, you know, impulse buying, impulse buying yeah. is rarely a good thing, no. whether you're the at the job or <laughs> you're, yeah. you're in the mall. <laughs> yeah. And we're the worst, we're the world's worst at this, aren't we? So, yes. And, and, I, and I, I, I love the comment uh, that Carrie had a couple weeks ago go yeah. about the uh the uh, marketing and sales tech uh, industrial complex that is just yeah. like sucked budget out of so many marketing teams <laughs> yeah. yeah that's yeah. true that's true so um 
that's excellent. So we've covered marketing ops in just over 20 minutes, which is amazing. So probably haven't done it justice. So it's definitely a topic we need to come back to. And if Simon Daniels is listening, apologies for using the chief. <laughs> I know he hates the chief. I think he hates the chief of staff term. And, uh, and we've, we, you know, he, he's, he's got a whole podcast on this. So um, called What's, what's well, Mox Got what's to Mike Do With It? Do with it? Yeah. yeah. So I'd encourage people to go there if they really want to know about marketing ops or talk to you. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he talks to me. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll put your links in the show notes. Next week, uh, my friend, I've, uh, we're, we've finished our five effing marketing fundamentals. So um, we got to move we, on to something F, F and else. Yeah, F and else. And, um, and we've had a comment from our listener, Irene Nehal Kane, about the Gartner model for the buyer's journey. Boo hiss from the first oh, uh, crowd. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, you know, I said every, you know, the, yeah, know, all the models have got their whatever. Yeah. They, they got something to say. So, uh, so yeah. doing a little compare and contrast is not a, yeah. not so a bad I thought idea. maybe next week we could indulge Irene or indulge, uh, respond to Irene. I don't know. Um, be grateful for her feedback and, and cover that next week and have a look at some of the, some of the other models around buyer's journeys and, yep. and stuff. Uh, so that'll be next week. And so that's our agenda almost complete. One more thing. Almost complete. What? So, yeah, well, actually, we didn't do the weather. So we've done Irene instead of the weather. Sorry, right, it's not that good here. So <laughs> uh, we've had a beautiful day. It's amazing. So um, what? Uh, and, and the listener can be reassured that we did have a conversation about the weather before I press record. So we have covered it. So it's fine. <laughs> so so uh, the last item on the agenda, what song are we going to play out? What track are you choosing this Well, it, it's interesting because I, I the first thing that came to my mind was something when we were talking right before getting on mm. uh, the recording was, something you said you woke up thinking about yeah the song smooth operator by yeah. sure day 1984 yeah. so we're back in the 80s uh yeah. but it's like hey it's don't if you're job. in marketing ops don't yeah. you want to be a smooth operator absolutely. or if you're the cmo don't you want to uh, hire a smooth operator i'm absolutely delighted to be playing this track i uh, love it so um we should play out with smooth operator by Sade from 984 and we've already discussed the fact that I'm going to see you next week, Jeff, and we'll be chatting about uh, buyers' models journeys. And um, I look forward to that, mate. So I'll see you Sounds then. Sounds good. All Great. right. See ya. Cheers, Jeff. Have a Bye-bye. good one, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. No need to ask. He's a smooth operator. Thank you, Jeff. That was Smooth Operator by Sade from 1984, of course, another classic tune. There is so much to marketing operations, it's a topic we're sure to come back to. And as you heard, next week we'll be discussing some feedback from a listener. Thank you, Irene. And if you have any thoughts on the topics we've discussed, please get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere. Right, on to this week's guest. Jill Ransom leads the Jitterbit Global Marketing Organization, responsible for driving growth strategy, demand generation, elevating brand awareness and consideration, and as you'll hear, has a passion for creating differentiated customer experiences that result in client loyalty. Jill has more than 25 years of marketing and communications experience across technology, software, and research brands. Prior to joining Jitterbit, Jill held the CMO position at Tango and senior marketing positions at Casella and Questback, spending most of her career with high-growth companies. Jill earned her Bachelor of Science in Global Marketing from Pennsylvania State University, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. 
Welcome, Jill, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm good, Ian. Thanks for having me. And where are we talking to you from? You're in Connecticut, right? I am. I am in Fairfield, Connecticut. Sadly, it is a, a rainy, gloomy day today. Right, which makes a change because normally, because I'm, I'm in the UK, I'm normally talking to people from a rainy, gloomy day and they're somewhere fabulous and nice. But oh, today God. I've got the sunshine. And I wish. Well, I was in Aruba a couple of days ago. Too bad I'm not nice. talking to you from there. <laughs> Very nice. And of course, as I keep referring to on this podcast, I'm obsessed with the weather with my guests. So we always have to cover that. I off. think it's common, right? No <laughs> way around it. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Jill. Sure. Um, from a marketing point of view, I've mm-hmm. uh, been in the business for, oh, geez, almost 25 years, I think. That just mm-hmm. makes me cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on the personal side, I have two teenagers that I think keep me a little young, a little hip. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll tie it back to the rock star, if you will. They yeah. might cringe if they heard heard that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think combining the two actually has um, helped me in my career in the long run. Yeah. Um, kind of just keeping that fresh sort of yeah. what's happening in the youth side of the business yeah. and how do, how do you bring that forward? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got um, two older girls myself, uh, one's uh, 21 and one's 18. And I've watched as they, and they know that I'm in marketing. When we talk about marketing, mm-hmm. it's it's quite interesting how their experience is very different to what went before and what yeah. they watch, what they listen to, what influences them. So yeah, it keeps mm-hmm. it keeps your finger on the pulse, doesn't it? For sure. <laughs> I'm actually tempted to have one of my daughters on the show just talk about how what we talked about is a load of rubbish. Yeah, they, I, they probably don't even realize what is marketing today and what they're influenced by, right? Yeah. So it might be a very interesting Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, well, what's fascinating, and we've gone right off topic already, is um, one of my daughter's studies, um, psychology and sociology. I mean, that's just perfect for a marketer. There's a little marketer yeah. right oh, there. Oh, totally. <laughs> So you're the CMO of Jitterbit, get back on the topic. Um, what does Jitterbit do? Um, it's a good question. I think I could give you the the straightforward, you know, it's we're a company over 20 years experience in the iPass mm-hmm. space, but that's not going to mean much to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, if you kind of dumb that down, layman's terms, we offer solutions um, that's backed by technology that connect systems and processes across a business. So if you mm-hmm. think about businesses, large or small, it doesn't really matter. We serve all of them. They have, ha- they have challenges, right? Integrating systems from sales yeah. to marketing to back office, right? Your right. CRM to your ERP to your billing systems. And we really just help solve that problem. We connect right. the dots between these disparate systems um, and help you know, solve problems that are impacting customer retention. They cost you money, right? So bringing those systems together um, really helps just solve a big problem that in many cases are very manual today. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, my my career, I, I started off as a techie and some of that time in enterprise application integration, as they used to call it. Um, and we were, we were solving those challenges bit like yourself you know what I mean I've been around for a while so we were solving those challenges 20 25 years ago um and it's it's really interesting I love the name by the way Jitterbit is just excellent isn't it? you know it's funny when I joined the company not too long ago just uh, yeah. a couple of months ago it was like you know kind of what does that even mean but funny yeah. enough it it came out of uh the history of Jitterbug the dance yeah. right and it's yeah. really um tying bits of data across, you know, together. Um, mm-hmm. So it's sort of that integration play. And you might see a little bit more play on that music theme as, as we go forward. 
Uh, well, you, you, those analogies are welcome here for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've, do, we, we've done a little bit of research, a little bit of a chat before we recorded and you've got a fabulous marketing career. I love it. Thank what you. inspired you to choose marketing? And also, like you're actually educated in marketing, which very rarely I my am. guests are. So I am. Tell us about that. Interestingly enough, you know, when you and I think about that now with a, a child that's a, a senior in high school, right? How do you know what you want to do when you yeah. grow up? Right. Yeah. I really had no idea. But one of the, the strange things I wanted to, to do was to own my own business, like a small mm -hmm. business in New York City. And um how do you get there, right? There's so many things that you need to know. And just talking with people, I decided that marketing and a business degree in general would give me sort of that background to figure out what I wanted to do. And as you get integrated into your, your major, you start to learn, you know, more about the particulars mm -hmm. that you get interested. And I just thought marketing was the most interesting, we'll call it, of yeah. all the business classes that I took. I definitely was not an accountant at heart <laughs> um, because I have sort of that left brain, right brain, the creative mm -hmm. side, the analytical side. And this was a great um, sort of merge of, of the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's great. And how do you view when you're hiring people? Do you, do you, when, because we're always having this conversation about marketing education, there's various things on social media that mm -hmm. people get quite passionate about this. Do you look at, do you look at candidates who have a marketing education and, and, and lean towards that? Or do you find that people are able, you know, marketing is one of those disciplines that you can actually learn on the job, as it were. Yeah, I think it really depends on the level of the mm. candidate that you're looking for. You know, coming yeah. out of school, I don't think it's important, you know, to have a marketing degree, but yeah. that you have some level of passion for yeah. what's involved with marketing. And even if you're like, I love social media, I personally have a huge passion for social media mm -hmm. um, and want to bring things to the B2B world like TikTok. Yeah. Um, so I think it varies, but as you grow in your career, you certainly want to see not necessarily a degree in marketing, but mm. skills and expertise mm. along with, with the passion. But I've hired people from a variety of industries, a variety of backgrounds. And at the end of the day, for me, mm. it's about people yeah, and absolutely. you want to find people that you think you will enjoy working with that bring yeah. different perspectives and, and skill sets and ideas and aren't, aren't afraid to to bring those forward. Yeah, and marketing now is such a broad church, isn't it? You need all sorts of different kinds of people. You need those an analytical people that are into the data. You need those creative folks. So yeah, yeah. and they can come and from all different And that creative thinking is so important today, right? As yeah. we, we all saw it, we're experiencing it now coming out yeah. of the pandemic, right? Like mm -hmm. old fashioned marketing mm -hmm. isn't necessarily working, right? You've got yeah. to break through that clutter because everybody's Absolutely. at home. Everybody's yeah. on the computer all day. We're all like, dying uh, of zoom fatigue yeah luckily a lot of us are listening to podcasts so that's good yeah <laughs> so, and, and back to your passions I know from talking to you beforehand that you're passionate about customer experience or CX obviously as we call it in the industry tell mm -hmm. us about that and why you think it's important that yeah. marketers think about customer experience yeah it's interesting I was introduced to the idea of CX or customer experience Mm -hmm. um, fairly early on in my in my career, um, at working for a market research company, um, oddly enough. And, you know, when you when you think about it, you know, a lot of people think about CX. Um, and you and I had talked about this previously a little bit in the B2C world, right? Yeah. Why do you spend five, six, eight dollars on a cup of coffee at Starbucks when you can yeah. go buy a cup of coffee for a dollar fifty or whatever it is at McDonald's? At the end yeah. of the day, it's coffee, but it's about the experience. 
And so when you think about that and how that applies to all types of businesses, not just B2C, right? There's a reason why people keep going back and paying Mm -hmm. a premium. And I just found that whole notion and the psychology behind it and the experience, like just fascinating. And if you can figure out how that applies to your business, it opens up a whole new, a whole new world. And at the end of the day, right, we're all people, we're selling Mm -hmm. people, we want positive experiences. Yeah. Look at review sites or you look at even, you know, you're trying to pick out where, you know, should I go to Aruba or not? Yeah. You're looking at people's reviews and their experiences. And like the more you can provide that positive experience every step along the way, yeah. The happier your customers are going to be, the easier it makes to to sell, the more mm-hmm. word of mouth you're going to get, right? So um, yeah. I just think there's so much behind it. Yeah, and I liked your point there that you were making about people paying a premium where their customer experience is part of that premium. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we as marketers, right, we increasingly need to engage with the CFO and the CEO around these kinds of initiatives and, and providing a nice experience isn't a metric necessarily that's going right. to appeal to them. Right. It needs to be about the bottom line. So are you saying that if we provide a great customer experience, we can actually charge a premium for our products, differentiate ourselves, and and therefore that's the conversation we need to be having. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. you know, you take that within you know, what that means for your business. But certainly I've worked for a number of companies in different industries where you, we may have an offering that is a white gloves experience Mm -hmm. that people are willing to pay a little extra for because they don't have the time, the resources internally to do that sort of thing. Right. And that's a, that's sort of a B2B example, right. From a services component, but that certainly applies when you think about this, the, the coffee example or, a restaurant mm. example or a clothing example, right? Yeah, and I've seen that um, because I've also seen it where um, B2B vendors provide that kind of uh, um, additional um, service that they charge for, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and and customers like to take it. Even I was, I was talking to one uh, B2B vendor that I was advising, and they said that people were taking the service, had them train up their internal people to do the same stuff, but kept them on. Yeah. So they thought that they were kind of, you know, by providing the service thought that maybe they were going to um, allow the the company to in-house and therefore not need them anymore, but actually Mm -hmm. their need continued because people like that level of service. And you realize that there might, you spend more time as an individual trying to figure out a particular piece Mm -hmm. of technology and our teams are experienced at it and can do it in minutes. And, you know, Twitterbit's a great example of that where we recently introduced a managed services um, Mm. you know, um, uh, opportunity within our business. And you would think it was just small businesses that are taking you up on it. But to your point, yeah. it's not right. Yeah, Companies yeah. across, um, across the range, right. Mm. Are, are tasked with smaller staffs, you know, tapped resources. Mm. So why not leverage the experts who can do it for you and, and streamline to ensure that it's just seamless. Yeah. And I think in B2B, that's almost swimming against the tide at the moment, because it seems that um, a lot of services are now being offered SaaS. You sign up with your credit card and you're on your own. Off you yep. go, figure it out. Right. So yep. um, I think there, there's a, there seems to be a, a differentiation now for B2B to start to offer service along with that technology. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, as you have, you know, your listeners in the marketing world, there's tons mm-hmm. of technology, right? <laughs> like your tech stack could be miles high. And to your point, you're sort of, you're given a 30 minute 
here you go onboarding. Yeah. Good luck to you. And then, right. And most oftentimes we have to go back, we have to spend some extra dollars to get some training or whatnot. Um, So it's everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the um, companies I work with at the moment, it talks about SaaS with service. And I think that's quite, Mm -hmm. that's quite a nice way of of talking about that stuff. Um, We were using using some examples just a moment ago about customer experience and predominantly in B2C. And we've just drifted there into B2B, which is, I always do because it's my world. So mine too, my entire career. (laughs) So it is, uh, so what do you, what do you think, what are you learning from that around customer experience that we can then apply to B2B? Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned this um, a little bit, but it's B2B, B2C, it's really B2H, right? Yeah. Like we are selling to people. And, yeah. you know, I think about myself in that seat, if I'm buying a new yeah. technology stack, right? Like yeah. I buy from people that I like, I buy yeah. from people that understand my pain. Mm-hmm. I buy the pe- from people that can empathize with what I'm going through every day. And I think that yeah. that's where, what we really need to keep in mind, because Oftentimes in marketing, you can get caught up in this, you know, your language and the way that you're describing what we do, like Mm -hmm. break it down, make it relatable, appeal to the senses. And there's no reason from a B2B or yeah, B2B space that we can't. It's about building trust, isn't it? And all those words that we're using about empathy, honesty and all that stuff. It's about building trust and and being yourself, you know, showing (laughs) a little bit of humor, a bit of humanness, um, because a B2B transaction is, is fraught with personal risk isn't it for that for for that buyer um and and often we don't think of a b2b transaction as being emotional but it's probably more emotional isn't it it is emotional i mean there's a lot at stake right i'm not just buying it for myself or making a decision for myself i'm making a decision on the behalf of a company and it could be a small company that i have personal stake in or it could be you know a multi-million dollar giant that uh you know is is relying on um you know wh- whatever yeah. it is that we're, we're trying to put together here so um, yeah. a lot of emotion in that and that it, it's funny because i was just talking to one of our heads of sales saying like why do people care like mm-hmm. and i kept having to say why why and i do that a lot with my team yeah. with yeah. a lot of people as a marketer right you should yeah. constantly be asking why yeah but why like, what's the emotional why? Like, mm-hmm. I chill. Why do I want to buy Jitterbit? Yep. What is it going to do for me? And appealing yeah. to that really personal sense is going to make the marketing that much better, the messaging, right? That much closer. Yeah. Oh, I get that. They get me. I want to buy that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. And I've um, and there was some advice I got early in my career about asking why and obviously the Simon Sinek stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. If that's so important is... Um, I think we as marketers often make a lot of assumptions and we, we build these journeys and at no point do we go, why, you know, why, why mm-hmm. are they, why are they doing this? What, aren't, what question do I need to ask? What questions do I need to be going through? And, and so, so we've made the case that the customer experience is important for us in terms of, of raising our margin, talking to our C-suite uh, and building trust with the buyer and ultimately building revenue, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think this falls just into marketing or is this something no. I mean, see, it often seems to me this does fall to the CMO, but really this is about, isn't this a broader problem for, or a, a broader challenge or opportunity it or re- craft? within all It places? really is because mm-hmm. customer experience is across the entire life cycle. Bef- yeah. it, it begins in the marketing world before they even know who you are, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why being in all of the different channels is so important. Having yeah. that humanized messaging is so important. 
having good referrals and word of mouth is so important because it yeah. really starts early on. But then as they start to engage with you from a prospect, mm -hmm. did, what was their experience on your website? Did they read something on LinkedIn? They engage with you through a demo. What was that sales experience like? Yeah. They go through, they decide, you know, yes, we're going to sign on. It's contracting. Yeah. It's legal. It's onboarding. It's the yeah. experience with service once they're onboarded, right? So it really is a soup to nuts and you have to think about it across the life cycle. Yeah. And do you think the role, I mean, the reason why I think it often falls into marketing is because, I mean, there are organizations that have senior customer experience folks, right, mm -hmm. on, on the, uh, in the C-suite, but it often falls to marketing. Do you think that's because we can bring consistency to that and, and that it's really a brand experience that we're talking about? I think it is a little bit of consistency in, in yeah. the brand. Um, and I've worked in organizations where, where there's a separate customer success, customer experience yeah. group. I've also managed it myself. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where it sits. It's yeah. it matters if you're all communicating and you all yeah. are building, you know, you're sort of on the ship together trying to to guide yep. it in the right in the right direction, understanding what do you want that experience to be? Do you want mm -hmm. to be that high end? Do you want to be in the middle? Do yeah. you have particular areas that you've identified when you start to map out that journey map and those touch yeah. points? Yeah. Where do I you think, have problems? Start there. Yeah. Right? I, and like that's how you start to really fill out that entire end to end. Yeah, I love all of that, all of that, what you just said. And one of those important things I think is is considering who you are and where you are in the market, right? Because mm -hmm. um I think as marketers, we tend to want to appeal to everybody and we want to do everything. Whereas actually you need to find who who's your minimal viable audience and what who you are to those people and where you sit in 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 the market who you are trying to define yourself as are you the premium brand are you the i don't know the, the get stuff done brand or what are you right right yeah, yeah. and I, I always guide my team and i'm doing this today start small you know yeah. you don't have to boil the ocean you don't have to be all things to all people yeah. start small figure it out find the one or two things that you really want to focus yeah. in on get really good at that yeah. then add in layer in move on you know and if you try to tackle too much at once, it's just, it is such an overwhelming task. And when you think about, you know, going back to CX and that entire journey map, mm -hmm. it's not five touch points, right? Yeah. It's, it's many, many, many. Where are the ones that you can have the biggest impact? Start with right. one. Let's really fix the hone in on that. Start yeah. there, add in a second, right? It's, yeah. it's that start small mentality really helps you get a lot further. Yeah, I love that. And just fix each squeaky wheel along along the path yep. one by one. Yeah, I love that. Yep. And, and then by uh, the time you're done, you'll have to go back and start yeah. off over there. Yeah. Well, you're all, you're kind of iterating, aren't you? It's an agile process. So you're just Absolutely. improving, improving. As long as as long as you leave it better than when you started, then you're yep. all right. So you know, that's one of the reasons why, and you asked me at the beginning why marketing. Yeah. This is yeah. a reason why it's yeah. ever changing, ever yeah. evolving, right? It doesn't get boring. It doesn't get old. No. You be on your toes. That's that's for sure. And that's that's also why, um, you know, that that's part of the conversation, going back to that about marketing education, is that almost as soon as you get it, you're it's out of date and people use that as a criticism. But I think as a discipline, mm -hmm. you're all you have to remain, don't you, as a marketer, you, you have to remain a constant learner, don't you? And you need to con continually update those skills. Yeah. We do. That's yeah, why and podcast is so great right you're <laughs> new, new knowledge to this I, i'm addicted to podcasts. I, I listen I, I i try and go for a walk an hour a day and i always i'm I listening to podcasts for all that time i think it's one of the 
on the great ways to stay up to. I'm Absolutely. not just saying that because I run a podcast. But yeah. Um, <laughs> now, you, you were talking about joining all the touch points there and a little bit back to, I guess, to your experience just a bit. What te- what role does technology play in that customer experience? How does how do we it, it, are we dependent on technology? Is that what we need to do? I don't think we're dependent on it. Mm-hmm. And it certainly it is contingent on where you are within your own business yeah. and developing your own experiences, et cetera. But technology certainly helps solve the problem, solve a problem yeah. in that it brings together disparate systems and technology, creates mm-hmm. that seamless experience through automation, right? You, yeah. you kind of, you can, you know, from a jitterbit perspective, you can leverage our pre-built integrations, you can leverage our connectors. And then once you have the workflows rolling, mm-hmm. it's yeah. just, it just goes, right? Yeah. And you're not thinking about it. It's just rolling in the background. Um, yeah. And it's, and then the output that you're getting, right? The data, the intelligence, the, mm-hmm. you know, the impact in terms of your bottom line, yeah. well, there, there's nothing to change, right? You're just yeah, like, yeah. okay, let's keep going. What else can I connect? What yeah. else helps drive that seamless experience? So you might start with, you know, from a marketing perspective, you want to connect your your CRM and your marketing automation platform, but then mm-hmm. you want to you want to connect your you know your um, conversation, right? Like your jit, your drift, and and things yeah. like that. So, how yeah. do you start to bring all that together so that you get that single view? Yeah, absolutely. I think you were in a meeting I was in earlier on, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's on my mind right now. Um, yeah, so bring bring those systems together. But of course, um, you know, with automation, you still need to keep that human touch to what you were just saying. I think that sometimes we can automate. I mean, all you're doing is if you're not if you're not doing the right things, automation just means you do them faster and at scale, right? right? You still need to right, and it doesn't that. mean you shouldn't go back and revisit, right? And yeah, as we were just talking about, marketing is a great example of ever evolving, absolutely, right. There's constantly, regardless of what function you are within a business, even in yeah. HR, there's yeah. new tools, systems, technology being introduced every day. You may not even know that in a year from now, you're going to be switching um, systems, right? So what do you do? How do you best um, you know, get the best experience across all of these things? And I think that human element, having that service layer, having those open conversations, thinking about what else should I be considering yeah. when it comes to my business, not just mm-hmm. my function, right? Yeah. And thinking about how those things tie together um, to create those those improved experiences. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could geek out with you on on marketing technology and integration <laughs> for, for the rest of uh, rest of absolutely. my afternoon, the rest of your morning. I think I think that's a, that's a great topic, and and the um, and our temptation sometimes as marketers to take a shiny thing and. And, and implement that and not have that kind of holistic view that you were just talking about, about mm-hmm. how, how that's going to impact the overall customer experience. I think it's really interesting. But you anyway, have to imagine, like, it's one thing to have technology. It's yes. another to be using it and leveraging yeah. it. Oftentimes yeah. we have these things in place yeah. and they maybe weren't set up properly or we didn't yeah. think about all of the different opportunities that we have to integrate those technologies with other things. 
um, to, to maximize, you know, the output of that. Yeah, but also I think sometimes the opposite. I think we automate things because we can rather than thinking about, well, what's that like for the customer? I'm yeah. going to send out a thousand emails or I'm going to, I'm going to do um, programmatic appetite or I'm going to do this, this and this. And I'm, sent, I'm doing a thousand million things with a 1% return and we're not realizing that we're pissing off a whole bunch of yeah. people because yeah. the machine's up and running. All right. Well, this is excellent. I just realized the time. Um, I'm going to bring us to our final question. We have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO called The Swimming Pool, our portal to hell for all the BS snake oil and overhyped trends in this industry we love. What would you throw in our Rockstar CMO swimming pool? You started to touch on it, actually, right? <laughs> There's this, um, you know, age-old typical marketing emails, right? Where yeah. We're going to write an ebook and we're going to have people download it and we're going to gate yeah. our content. And yeah. I think it's just that idea of let, like, I guess we'll call it just lead generation. I got to go get yeah. names, 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 yeah. and fill the top of my funnel because sales needs things to call. And that yeah. drives me back. <laughs> okay. What are, what's actually happening with those things? Why mm. are you focusing on that's just what it's again, mm. back to the why, why are we doing that? And I think it's, yeah. it's really about asking yourself why mm -hmm. understanding what's working and what's not and not being afraid to throw out the things that aren't working mm -hmm. and having the courage then to test new things, right? So it's yeah. um, building that communications stack over a, yeah. a, a lead gen sort of approach um, and building that that brand and um, getting to know your customers, right? Yeah. Like really bringing yeah. that in. So out with the old, in with the new. I mentioned earlier, social media, TikTok. Yeah. Let's try it. Let's get <laughs> fun. Um, but, but, you know, there's got to be some fabulous. Fabulous. Too. I will gladly throw that in the swimming pool. That sounds perfect. <laughs> anyway, so as we close, um, Jill, um, where, if people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Um, well, they can find me on LinkedIn mm -hmm. um, personally, um, or you can find me at jitterbit, jitterbit.com. Nice. And presumably we'll see you on TikTok at some point too. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm already out there. <laughs> Love it. Well, I'll include all your links in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jill. Um, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Ian. Cheers, Jill. Thanks to Jill there. I really enjoyed chatting to her both on and off the recording. And I'll include all of her links in the show notes. And listeners, please say hello to Jill if you enjoyed our conversation. Right. It's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello and welcome to the bar. It's the end of the week. Um, mm -hmm. And well, interesting for me here in the bar uh, as we are is that uh, it's the end of the week for everybody except me, it would seem, because I'm actually flying your way. Um, so my weekend will be filled with travel to, to London. So we actually will be in the bar, really, by the yeah. time people hear this. Um, we will. I'm, I'm a little bit too excited by that. And um, I'm looking forward to very soon saying to you, Robert, 
Good evening, Mother. What are you drinking? Yeah. <laughs> For real. Very nice. Yes, For and there reals. will be plenty of that. Um, yes. And, and perhaps yes. we'll make, uh, or we'll have the bartender make, what we'll make um, tonight mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is uh, a wonderful drink. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's one that I found is a little bit of a health tonic as well, which is, um, it's called the bee's knees. Um, Ooh. and it, you know, it's got lots of 1920s connotations. It was a drink invented mm-hmm. in the twenties. In fact, um, during the late part of the twenties during prohibition here in the U S. Um, and, uh, it's basically very simple. It's a very simple cocktail, which is mm-hmm. gin, um, yes. and, and uh, it's straight up, it's a straight up drink. So it would be shaken right. uh, and, and not poured over ice, but you have a, a gin and then you have lemon. Um, and then you use now, again, most of the cocktail recipes that you'll see on this will, will call for a syrup, a honey mm-hmm. syrup, um, which is relatively easy to find, but I just use straight up honey. Um, right. and you know, you pop it in the microwave or something like that for a couple of, yeah. you know, 30 seconds or so to get it nice and, uh, soft and, and put that in there and stir it all and str- and basically shake it all up. And you have yourself yeah. a very lovely, uh, very nice cocktail that is also a bit of a, you know, a bit of a health tonic as well. That sounds, that sounds delicious. So let's, let me, let me see if I can recreate that. Uh, with my uh, the ingredients on my desktop bar, mm. I am um, I quite like the fact that this is your second week of having gin. I think because wasn't it a gin martini last week? Dirty gin martini last week. We did, yes, we did. Which that. I will actually I will actually attempt to make, but not right now. Today, right. So I'm going to start with some gin. I, uh, I this isn't your favourite. You did say that you don't put ice in that, didn't you? you, you That's right. But of course you will Oops. because you don't <laughs> it seemed to have done, yes. Uh, and um, I, I didn't realise that last week I ran out of Hendrix, and so I'm I'm on the the Zip Smiths that my that my that my wife purchased for me. So don't be rude about it. <laughs> so a bit of Zip Smiths, and you then put into your gin some lemon. That's right, and some. Um, some honey. Uh, let's see what the people at Fever Tree have put into my mixer. Oh, they've put cucumber. <laughs> so I shall pour in some That's cucumber not, tonic water. Yeah, it's not honey, but it's it's uh, very close. Mm. Well, uh, yes, but much beloved by the bees, I should imagine. Let me give this a try. Mmm. Oh, that's very delicious, Robert. I, that's very nice, and I can feel the health benefits. Ah, uh, yes. Certainly. <laughs> well there is claimed health benefits in this drink isn't there because it's well yeah i mean you know malaria. i mean look i have you know there are there are many types of honey there is a there is a specific kind of honey called a manuka honey mm-hmm. that is supposedly just chock-a-block full of health benefits including nice. you know gum health and and uh and heart health oh. and and all sorts of things which i have found to love quite a bit but this is just you know Regular nice. old honey and lemon and gin. I mean, it just doesn't get any simpler than that. No, and it's delicious. Um, I could drink one of these every single week. I think what, you might. Um, <laughs> what are we going to call this? Uh, we're calling this the Bee's Knees because that is sort mm. of the classic name for it um, coming nice. out of the cocktail books of the 1930s. So Nice. And um, I know where we're going to be drinking next time we really are drinking, but where are we going to be drinking these? What? Well, I thought you know there might be something interesting, so I'm 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 inspired uh, this week because I have been binge watching uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, Yellowstone. I don't know if you know this show or not. Oh, I got recommended this. Or did I listen to it? Or are you talking about it on your podcast and I wrote it down? I've heard of this show, yes. <laughs> it is a fantastic show. I can't mm-hmm. recommend it highly enough. Now, it's not for kids. It's definitely... Right. You know, it's the way I've been describing it is sort of the Sopranos uh, with cowboys. Um, oh, and it's just really good. Um, and of course, it's set in Montana, the wide open Montana. Mm. And so um, the only place I've ever been in Montana, and it, and it is very reminiscent of the show, is a place called Bozeman, Montana, which is, you know, as wide open sky and mountains and beautiful wow. west as it can get. And I thought, ah, you know, and you can ski there. You can actually ski and then it is ski season. Um, And so uh, I thought, wow, what a better place than Bozeman, Montana, looking at the wide open sky of Montana, sitting in some ski resort somewhere um, and sipping on lemon gin and honey to keep us uh, to keep us entertained. Oh, that sounds so good. That sounds so good. And um, yeah, I've never been to Montana. What, 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 what? What's the capital of Montana? Where, where might we have heard of? Oh, now see, you're testing my U.S. like education oh, here, and and, and I, I believe I it is Helena. I believe the capital oh. of Montana is Helena, but now there are mm. plenty of U.S. geographic mm. nerds yelling at the screen <laughs> or yelling at the <laughs> podcast right now. You're wrong. It's whatever, and I don't know. The <laughs> well, I don't feel so bad. I do know that I don't feel so bad. And I, 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 I quite like the show Aerial America. It's like this really nice sort of uh, guilty pleasure TV of just, you know, it's, it's just relaxing. You know, the sort of relaxing TV you don't need to invest too much effort yeah but yellowstone is definitely not what i would call relaxing it's 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 an intense (laughs) show Uh, but But yes indeed i I do know what you mean yeah i like i like aerial america and it basic and and i'll have to find the montana edition and then i can find out where the capital of montana is anyway uh, i think it's on uh it's on smithsonian channel on one of those really good channels all right so we're we're sipping these wonderful warming drinks and health drinks over over ski uh chalet uh, and uh, conversation turns from um, what we're going to drink next to to marketing, I would think. Uh, what are we going to be discussing this week? Well, you know, and we have talked about this topic before, but it's, it is mm-hmm. this idea of quantity and quality of, uh, of content. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 what I was inspired by was a conversation with a potential client uh, that I was talking with last week, actually. And... They're a new media company and they are, you know, there's a lot of talk these days around, you know, artificial intelligence and automation and how it's starting to intrude in the content creation space. And it's coupled with a, you know, a a, a trend that we've seen certainly in media of just a lot of publishing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, New York Times and Washington Post and other larger news media companies are publishing it. It's just an, the number of articles that are getting published are astonishing. And this was a media company that is not necessarily a traditional media company, but, but was going to be launching a media arm as part of their business. I'll say it that way. Um, they're in the gaming space. Um, and they their plan for the next year is to ramp up their article production from 25 uh or more um sort of in a uh in a week to more than 500 
uh, articles in a week or about wow. 30,000 posts every year. And that number just astonished me. It's like 30,000 yeah. posts every single year to, to run a media arm of, of your business. And if you think about that, it's sort of the broader you know, trend there, the amount of content getting produced is just overwhelming. It just starts to yeah. overwhelm you. And, you know, it, you know, there's no wonder it feels like we're shouting into a hurricane these days, right? The, with yeah. the, with the amount of content. And of course it's always been that way, right? It's all, yeah. this is nothing new. This is nothing, you know, ever since the invention of the printing press, right? There's been more content than we can consume, um, mm-hmm. in any given sitting or any, anything like that. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm reminded there's a, there's a wonderful quote, uh, by a Dutch, uh, humanist going way back just after the invention of the printing press. Uh, his name was Erasmus and he was complaining about the number of books being printed. And he said, basically, you know, the, the quote is to what corners of the world, they do not fly all of these swarms of new books. The very multitude of them is hurting scholarship because it creates a glut. And even in good things, Sadie is most uh, harmful, basically saying, you know, the kids, <laughs> the kids can't keep up with the, the cool scholars these days because there's just too much information to process. And of yeah. course, that's today. That was then. And, and you know, I, I mean, I can't imagine what Erasmus would have to say now about, you know, CNN yeah. or CNBC or something. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the interesting thing was is that it, it coincided with this, you know, these talks that I've had with CMOs and you know, one VP of marketing was talking about how their CEO was like, we're never, you know, we, we need to basically produce more and more and more and more and more. And said to actually his VP of marketing, we're never going to compete if we go a mile deep into these topics because our competitors are publishing blog posts and social posts every day. And they're the ones getting attention. And my, my point in all of that is yes, that's true. But you have to ask what attention they're getting. Mm-hmm. You know, would you rather sort of get the attention to settle a bar bet or get information, or would you actually like to get someone who's deep enough engaged in your content to actually take an action, to actually do something? And you know, attention has become such a huge metric in what we're focused on, and it's just the wrong metric. It's just the wrong metric for us to you know because. A, you can't win the arms race to create attention. You no. just, you're not going to win that. You know, the guy that's publishing the fake news about, you know, some controversial thing is going to win that attention battle every day. What you can win is the depth, the engagement, the depth of engagement battle. Yeah. Because what they can't reproduce with 30,000 articles a year is in depth and quality. You just can't. So it's not even about being found. It's not even about getting better attention. It's about what happens after the attention. And that's the real thing that I think about these days because it's, you know, it's signal and noise, right? You know, my signal is your noise and your noise is my signal and, 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 Mm -hmm. and all of that. And, and basically if we look at what entertainment and media companies are doing these days, with the way that they're treating their content as product and the way that they, you know, promote it and really focus on quality and depth instead of quantity, you know, the movie companies, the, you know, you know, the television companies, magazines, et cetera, 
you know, it would be just as easy these days for Time Magazine or, you know, any other publisher to produce, you know, a hundred editions of Time Magazine or 50, you know, but they yeah. don't. They do one a month and they haven't strayed from that because it's the depth and quality that you get, that you train your audiences to expect. And yeah. just to finish this off, I was talking with a, with a financial services company who has taken this strategy and they were saying they have seen way more success since they pivoted about three years ago from covering the news where they were publishing mm -hmm. maybe 20 articles a day um, mm -hmm. on, you know, everything from Brexit to, you know, what the interest rates were to, you know, blah, 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 becoming sort of a news outlet. Yeah. And they said, we weren't competing. We just can't. But what we can compete with is where now we've reduced our publication down to about one a week. Mm -hmm. And but it's in an in-depth piece, so we get a tenth of the attention. But when we get the attention, we hold it, and they subscribe, and they do things with that. Yeah, product. and it just works better for us. Yeah, yeah, and that's so interesting because that's the conundrum everybody, uh, all all content marketers need to face. Is it the the quantity versus quality argument? Um, because yeah, you're going to get you know five hits on five pieces, or do you want? 20 hits on three pieces or whatever you know the, the metric might be but it might be there's fewer hits across the board i've, yeah. I've done i've said that completely well, and, wrong my math and the other thing is is, is, is the that, engagement was deeper yeah and the other thing is is that what we what we forget is that we train our audiences with the expectation right yes in other yeah, words yeah. what you're doing over time is you're training your audience that there's so much content coming from us that i don't have to pay attention yeah and yeah. because inevitably something will come into my inbox from you in 10 more minutes yeah, and yeah. and and so by by training them with so much content that's coming into their inbox or so much content that's coming onto our site or so much content that's coming into our social media yeah. post we subconsciously train all of our audiences to expect that they don't have to pay attention to this one because there will be something yeah. else coming down the down the pipe yeah, instead yeah. of saying when they see something from us going oh crap I only saw something yeah. from them a week ago what I I better I better actually yeah look at this thing yeah it's like um, it's I've, I've like referred to the way that I engage with things like Twitter as like the radio. You sort of tune in and tune out because the, the you're never going to keep up with the flow. But something like an email or an email newsletter, you're gonna you're gonna pay attention to that every time it comes out, aren't you? Um, and you and what would what would the other so or the so so I I I think if you're going to provide that much content, I mean that's a ridiculous amount of content that you are quoting. I mean you're carpet bombing your audience with 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 content, then they they are only going to tune in and tune out, aren't they? Because your your stream is so constant, they can't keep up. Inevitably, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just yeah, that's yeah. the way it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what are, what am I, and and where did you go with that? Were you able to convince them not to do that? Uh, no, I, I, I have not been able to convince them not to do that. And and by the way, I'm not convinced that it won't be successful either. Ah, uh, okay. You know, now uh, you know I, I have a pretty good, but but there's a strong <laughs> argument. There's a strong argument that I've seen that says you know this quantity, this filling of the every possible version of a of a particular mm -hmm. you know because look thirty thousand versions of an you know of, of articles going out every year you're repeating yourself you just are i mean there's yeah, just no yeah. I mean, there's just not that yeah. much going you can't on maintain in the world yeah. that you can yeah. that you can publish it so you're going to be repeating yeah. yourself on things and so the question is is like 
what you're doing is ultimately putting out multiple versions of the same story, right? In, in, in yeah. varying degree, um, you know, you know, or different takes on a, on, on a, on a similar story or whatever it is you're doing, you're inevitably going to repeat yourself. And so the question is, is do those find, you know, it's a, it's a bit like, you know, pouring, you know, water over the, over a surface and hoping <laughs> that it finds all the cracks to sort of seal mm. and, and, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, there, you're doing it acknowledging that, you know, some percentage, you know, you hope as small as possible, but you're acknowledging that some percentage of this is literally the spaghetti that doesn't stick to the wall, right? And yeah, so yeah. you're just hoping that by creating small 30,000 mm. bits of commodity content that something is going to hit. And you're yep. playing a numbers game, right? Where yeah. all it is is that one or two of them needs to hit of the 30,000, and then yeah. you've you've more than paid for the creation of the other you know twenty nine thousand nine hundred and ninety eight articles. Yeah, because it costs so little. You're just basically a scatter, you know, a buckshot yeah. shotgun. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, All those and, that, and that math might be okay. That math might yeah. work for them, given their particular. It, yeah, know, but it's like everything we talk area. about. Yeah, it's like everything we talk about, though, isn't it? It depends on what they want to measure, right? So if they're going to measure. If they're going to measure page views on, on, on across articles, uh, it might be that they'll see a bump um, because uh, they they capture the right moment in time for every single one of their audience. But if they were to look at engagement and quality, they will, will they see a they, will they see that same bump? And will they see a change in revenue or any other? That's right. Any other? That's things, right. It's know, sort so of that you know sort of you know, all attention is yeah. good attention, right? You know, and yeah, and, yeah. and 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 if you can monetize bad attention. Yeah, I mean, this leads to a conversation that I often have with clients around, uh, you know, popularity, right? You know, yes. in other words, one of the things that's popular yeah. these days is to put up a blog or your website and then in your right rail somewhere have sort of a list of your most, you know, your most viewed yep. articles. Yeah. And we often call that the most popular articles. And it's like, no, that's yeah. not necessarily true. It's the most visited. But, yeah. you know, a lot of people hate yes. visiting your content too, right? They don't, you know. <laughs> yes. You know, they're yeah, coming to your it. content because they disagree or don't like it. And so they're just saying, but you know, they're sending a link to somebody yeah. going, go check out this nonsense. Right. You know, <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, you goes, have to remember yeah. that it's not, it's, you know, most visited yeah. does not necessarily mean most affinity. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's the, and it's the idea that you're then creating popularist content rather than, um, useful content. That's right. And, yeah, um, exactly. And it's back to that old analogy that I've told for so many years about, you know, if you want more wedge hits on your homepage, then I'll teach a cat to play the piano and we'll video that. That's you know, right. It's, and, and it's just that old thing. But that, uh, what, what, one might say well, we're haven't... hovering over the back button. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I mean, <laughs> the name of my old blog. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, mate. All right. So that's a lovely thought. And where can people find thoughts much like this? Uh, well, the pu we publish very seldomly, <laughs> <laughs> but it's high um, quality. <laughs> yeah, and theoretically, it's pretty good quality. Um, and we do that at contentadvisory.net. Splendid. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, these days, mostly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Actually, I'm finding a lot of value on Twitter these days, especially keeping up with some of the current events. Um, it is becoming quite the uh, quite a better social network than certainly some of the others. Splendid. Well, and the most important question, will I find you in, will I find you in our virtual bar next week? 
yes, you'll find me in the real bar next week, and then we'll, you'll, you'll, you'll find me in the virtual bar here next week as well. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to both of them. Thank you very much, Robert. I'll see you very soon. That's Thank you, Robert. Splendid topic, quantity versus quality. And after two years of virtual bar, looking forward to seeing him in person. So that's a wrap on episode 107 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime in your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Jill and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let us know. Help other people find us by dropping a rating or review in your favourite podcast app. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will dig into the buyer's journey. I'm looking forward to chatting with Tim Hines, fellow podcaster, author, and CMO. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. I hope you'll join us again next week here on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.